Are you in your 40s, approaching your 40s, past your 40s, and wondering, what the F is happening to my body, in my relationships, with my family, in my career, generally all the things. If so, then you're in the right place. We're your hosts. I'm Beth. And I'm Dana. We're here to bring people together to explore and have real, raw conversation about being 40-ish. So welcome to What the 40-ish, a podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to What the 40-ish, a podcast. We're back here today, and we have a very um, sexy topic for you guys today. We're going to be talking about married sex and intimacy. And we have a very special guest with us this week. We have Dr. Ginny Rozier. Did I say that right? Okay. Yes. Um, uh, Dr. Ginny Rozier, who is one of my professors. I've actually, I took a class from her previously on communication. It was communication and romantic relationships. And I actually am getting ready to start a class with her again on Tuesday where we're going to be talking about attachment theory. So I am super stoked to be in her class again, because I thoroughly enjoyed the first one. I I thought she would be an excellent guest to have for this topic because she talks a lot about it in her, in her coursework. And also she has her own podcast and we're going to let her tell you a little bit about that as well. So welcome Dr. Rozier. Thank you for having me. We're so excited that you're here. I'm so excited. I love this topic. In full disclosure, we tried to tape this episode before by ourselves and it was a shit show. So we're like, we really need a professional (laughs) to come in and and talk to us because neither one, we somehow we ended up on a tangent about our parents, which was disturbing. So we, yeah, not in this uh, topic. We don't want to talk about our parents. Yeah. Yeah, It was like, this is, we talked too much about our parents, which is weird. So yeah, we got um, off and I'm like, we need somebody to facilitate this talk. (laughs) Like this was weird. We got to get off. No. So I'm happy happy to be here. Yay. So if you want to give us a little bit of background on you and your work that you do, we'd love to hear more about that. Sure. So like uh, you said, my name is Dr. Jenny Rozier. I am an associate professor of communication studies at James Madison University in Virginia. Um, I teach several courses, uh, several of which I have actually created here at JMU. One is a communication and romantic relationships course. Another is an attachment communication course. Um, I also teach some research methods and statistics courses and a freshman gen ed class. So I have a variety of classes that, that I teach here. Um, My research interests go around the communication skills that people use in their romantic and parent-child relationships to improve them. Um, Specifically, I focus a lot of my time and energy on attachment communication, sex talk, uh, respectful communication, and empathy. And honestly, I think that almost everything related to romantic and parent-child relationships can go, can boil down to empathy. Um, I think empathy ties everything together and makes all relationships better. Um, But I really enjoy talking about sex talk as well. So my PhD dissertation topic was a uh, sexual communication coaching training program where I took 40 couples 
through a training program that lasted about four months where they learned to sexually coach each other. And um, it was successful. The couples uh, improved their sexual satisfaction, their relationship satisfaction. They lowered their apprehension that they had about talking about sex with a partner and they improved their sexual coaching skills. So this is a topic that I very much um, enjoy talking about. And I talk about it in, I've written a couple of popular press books as well. And I have chapters dedicated uh, to sex talk in both of those in both of those books, one of which is called uh, Make Love, Not Scrapbooks. And the <laughs> other one is called The Who Does More War, which is more about parenting and your relationships, where the previous book is more about um, dating and early relationships. Okay, so, so what, yeah. is, what is sex coaching? I need oh, to know what this is. So it's where you're talking about your sexual likes and dislikes with your partner. And the coolest thing for me, I mean, I loved the project and it made me feel really great that so many people improved their lives um, after going through this kind of difficult training program. But the coolest part for me was I had personal email relationships with all of the participants. So they were allowed to email me anytime they wanted. And we had um, lots of email chains going back and forth, mostly between the wives. So they were all married couples and mostly between the wives and I. And time and time again, so out of the 40 wives that participated, probably about half of them personally emailed me and said that the main thing that they appreciated was the activity where we where they were encouraged to write down five things that they like and five things that they don't like. These women said things to me like, no one's ever asked me <laughs> or I've never thought about it or I've thought about it, but I've never like really written it down. And that is what has changed me for the better. And so for me, I was like, wow, this, this huge program was really great, but apparently all I really need to do <laughs> was get these women <laughs> to write down what they liked and what they didn't like. And that like empowered them to then share that information. And the idea that so many women had never thought about it or never been asked it or never like really processed it was really surprising to me. Did you, do you offer like the coaching as like a you know, I like, made it into a book. So yeah, the okay. book is called, um, and I'm blanking. The book is called the finding the love guru in you and you can find it on Amazon. Uh, and it is the coaching material in book form. So I didn't really, it's just the coaching material and I just put it in a book. Um, and so it's nice and short and sweet and it has activities in it and ideas to have like conversation starters and things like that. Okay. We'll totally link yeah. that. We'll link yeah. that in our show notes. <laughs> but that's, this is that's kind an of awesome how, resource. Yeah. How, yeah. This is like what I was talking about with you, Beth, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do what I want to be done. Like I have this theory that you do what you want to be done and it'll come back to you. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't know. It kind of works. Kind of doesn't work. I don't know. Well, but. everything you do to your partner, they can't physically do. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes we have to speak up. I and know. Explain. Yes. Which is not easy. I'm not the best at I, it either. So, it, well, I feel like, and we've, I've had this conversation with several of my girlfriends, like we do speak up, but for some reason they can't hear it. 
Sometimes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that is totally the issue is that they can't hear it or they I'm not trying to diss men, but sometimes they don't care or they are they are consumed by their own desires for pleasure that trying to pleasure someone else is like, well, I'm just trying to get me feeling yeah. good. You know, I don't really want to work. I, towards making I think her I've been feel good. I think I've been very blessed there with a husband who is who always makes sure I'm mm-hmm. good first that you're taken care of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> we're good. That in that in that sense. It was funny because we actually had this like argument the other day where I'm like, look, this does not turn me on when you just come up and grab my boob. I'm like, no. (laughs) And he's like, well, I won't do it anymore. I'm like, it's not that I don't want you to do it. It's just that there just needs to be more. And I was like, but can you please stop doing that when I'm putting my mascara on? Like, that's the worst. And I'm like, because you're doing that and I'm going to jab myself in the eye. And he's like, oh. Yeah, I never really thought about I totally get that. Why you would say don't do that while you're putting mascara on. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. that would be fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> but we actually had to have had talks. We've had talks a lot late, more lately in the last year, and things have gotten better. Like yeah. just small things like that I wanted, that I sure. need. Sure. And, and there's he's there's- receptive decades and decades of research that shows that talking about sex can improve your sex life. So it's that hurdle that we all have to get over of talking about it. And so many people have such a hard time just bringing it up because I think some people, when I talk to my students who mind you are 18 to 22, typically their issue is, well, when do I talk about it? Do I talk about it during sex? I'm like, well, no. (laughs) They're like, do I talk about it right before sex? I'm like, probably not a good idea either. (laughs) They're like, well, then when do you talk about it? And I'm like, I think that every relationship is different and some things can be brought up during sex, but you saying, ew, no, I don't like that during sex can very much kill the mood and kill the experience. So it is an odd dance that you have to do to like figure out when a good time to bring things up are. And sometimes I think that you can start a, a great way to start a conversation about sex separate from a sexual experience is to ask them if they're sexually satisfied or what could I do to make you feel more sexually satisfied? Because instead of being like, hey, honey, I've got a list here of shit you need to do. Uh, That doesn't come off very. That doesn't start a conversation very well. But if you start it off with like, what can I do to please you? He or she will likely reciprocate. Well, well, what can I do to help you? You know, and and they might not do it in that conversation, but hopefully they'll do it later. So my husband and I recently we've had some discussions about this because for us it's a time it's a timing issue mm-hmm. um, because I've been extremely busy. So um, I just recently switched jobs, so like my schedule is a little better now. Yeah. So I think things will improve naturally because of that, but. Before I was working a regular 40 hour work week, and then I would have two to three evening meetings per week. And um, also, as you know, doing school. So I was school full time too. So most of the time schoolwork happened in the evenings or on the weekends. And so a lot of my time was devoted to those kind of things because I was on the school board here in Loudoun County. So when I was on the school board, 
I mean, I was like non-existent here in this house because yeah. I worked a regular 40 hour a week work job separate from school board and then school board things I did in the evening. Just recently, we started talking about that. And I said, you know, he, and he has sleep apnea. So like I said, when I come in and you already have your mask and everything on, I was like, I'm not, you know, I figured that's my, my indicator that you just want sleep. And yeah. so I'm not going to disrupt you in, in, in that I'm usually t- exhausted at that point too. So like, honestly, there's no point, but I'm also not a morning person. I don't want you to wake me up at four o'clock in the morning when you're stirring and starting to get ready because I'm just now hitting like deep sleep at that point. So I'm like, I don't, I don't like the, uh, we need to find a happy medium here. Like we need to, one of the things that he's like, do we need to like schedule sex? And I was like, yes. Well, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if that's like too rigid I don't know no, I love it. I think it's hot I think it's yeah. hot when it's like because then you, you kind of have your mind going all day like oh okay I know what's happening at four o'clock mm-hmm. you know and so sometimes I'll do like I'll send him like a flirty text and be like you know just alluding to the fact that I'm I'm willing, you know, tonight, tonight, and he'll be like, okay, you know, like, and so that's helpful. So he found this app that we now use. And and admittedly, I haven't used it very much, but it's called, it's called love sync because I've had COVID. So he found it like a month before I got COVID. Like it's called love sync. And it basically is like you and your partner, like when you're ready or you're nude. I love that. You just like hit, yes, I'm in the mood. And you yeah. say for how long you think you're going to be in the mood, whether it's a couple of hours, or <laughs> 15 minutes, 30 seconds. I've got, yeah, I've got a so, minute and a half. And if you sync up, then it's like, hey, you guys synced up. Like, it's time to go. Like, wow. so. Um, we've, we've used it a couple times. And one time we were like, we went out with friends and we had gone to celebrate a friend's birthday and we had out, we, we had both, you know, had been drinking and it was good because we had a, like, we had a, um, we had rented a car to like drive us because we knew we were going to be drinking. And yeah. so like we went out and we were, you know, so, you know, how it happens. Like the guys are on one side and the girls are on the other. So like we're across this bar from each other and, um, there was a band playing and, you know, I was just feeling it. So like, I like hit my, you know, like, Hey, when we get home tonight, it's happening, you know? Uh-huh. And so like, he hadn't responded, you know, like he hadn't responded. So like, I'm like yelling across the bar going, Aaron, Aaron, I'm like showing him the app. And he's like, Oh, he's like, okay. <laughs> he's like, oh okay. so it's, that's been fun. Like that's been like a little fun thing that we've been using, but it's for us, it's a, t- it's a, it's definitely a time. And I think that's what it is for lots and lots yeah. of couples, regardless of how long you've been together, whether you're married or not how old you are. Every couple struggles with that, you know, the amount of time. And when children are thrown in the mix and work careers are taking off and everybody's, you know, doing all these extra things, it becomes really difficult just because you're tired, like you said, and you don't know when your partner is not tired or is tired. And it's very tricky. Something that I heard a uh, sex therapist say one time at a conference was she said, every single one of you in here makes time to eat. Mm -hmm. And she paused for a long time. (laughs) And I thought, 
Yeah, I do, don't I? <laughs> I do make time to eat, don't I? And we often eat around the same time. And so her whole talk was about scheduling sex. And ever since then, uh, which was, I don't know, I probably was like 21 or 22 when I heard this. And ever since then, I've always thought that scheduling sex was the way to go because like you were saying, you know, so it's kind of hot to know like, oh, tonight's the night. Um, I think that regardless of how, like, you have to come to some, con- some like, decision on how often the schedule is going to happen. You know, I think that some people say, okay, well, we should have sex on Fridays or we should like Fridays are least busy day. So we should have sex on Fridays or we should have sex, um, one sex one day and then two days off and then sex the next day and two days off, or we should have sex every other day, or we should have sex every day or whatever your plan is. You have to come to that you know, arrangement with your partner. And then I also think it's important. And, and this is something that I thought about, you know, as I got older, uh, because when I was 21, 22, thinking about this, I'm like, okay, so we'll come up with a schedule and it'll be every day. It'll be great. Uh, (laughs) but now as I get older, we, my, cause my husband and I have a schedule, otherwise it wouldn't happen. Um, and but we have veto days. So we have veto power. So we are each allowed to veto the schedule twice a month. He has never vetoed in 22 years. I don't, I'm never, no, I don't think he's ever vetoed ever. Um, and I use my two vetoes a month, every month. So, uh, that's how that works with us, but it's like understandable. And when he, when I say no, not tonight, he's like, it's January. Okay. So that's your first one, (laughs) but then he knows the schedule will still happen. Um, the next time we had scheduled things, because at the end of the day, there's very, it's, it's not as common. The older you get that both of you are going to be into it at the same exact time. If you are, that's wonderful and great, but the likelihood is lower and lower. I think the longer you are with someone and you're just not going to sync up. And I also like to, as when I talk to lots of women's groups, I say, you know, most people enjoy it once they start. Yeah. Yes. There's it's, never it's, been a time where afterwards I was like, I'm so mad. I did that. Like, yeah, I know. Like, I'm so, uh, I wish I that. didn't do that. I wish I slept yeah. instead. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like you going to the gym, right? Like, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. You just have to get getting there. Yeah. So and you just happens. have to do it. So if you have a schedule, it kind of takes away that you have to f- find a time to do it. And you kind of know like, okay, th- tonight we're having sex. I've, I've done it. I've, swallowed the tough pill. Like this is happening. Uh, and so you kind of just know, and then there's like less pressure on other nights where, I mean, I'm been with my husband for a really long time, you know, over two decades. And we, I still sometimes feel that tension. Like, is it a sex night? Is it not? Should we have sex? I don't know. Does anyone have sex? And I'm a grown ass woman. So, you know, that doesn't go away. And I think he feels that way too. Sometimes he's like, does she want to, I don't know. I don't want to offend her. She had a lot to do today, you know, but I kind of want to. So I don't, I think think that's kind of where am I really like on my side is, is like, he never, he he's like, I can't read you. Yeah, exactly. If I'm not in it, if my brain is not in that 
section of my brain. And exactly. I'm doing this over here. And exactly. But if you have a schedule, it, yeah. you, you like your brain, like makes time to get into that side of your mm-hmm. brain and you know, and he knows, and there's no guesswork. And, you know, my, my undergrads are always like, well, it's just not sexy in that way. And I'm like, you'll have more sex if you schedule it. So cut it out. It doesn't mean you can't have sex on a non-sex day. Right. You can yeah, still exactly. have <laughs> kitchen sex if you want, you know, yeah. like you can yeah. still do that, but the schedule just makes sure that you're doing it. Yeah. yeah. Like you're not losing that connection. A whole lot of sense. Like I need, like I, I, I kind of had this feeling about it. Like, Oh, that's not very, that's not very sexy, mm-hmm. but it does make sense. Like it probably will promote actually more having more sex than just the scheduled sex. But yeah. at least, you know, on those scheduled days, you are absolutely yeah, going, you're to, going to on those days. Yes. And then other times it could happen as well. But, you know, I think that research shows that men typically want more sex than their wives and women would be happy if they had less sex than they actually have. Um, and so there's I think we all need to, like, come to that understanding that your partner is probably going to want more sex than you're having. And you are probably going to want to have less sex than you're having. Uh, it doesn't mean that if you don't align with that, there's something wrong. Just the majority of people are like that. And so come to that, understand that, that he is going to want more and you're probably going to want less and you're, or be fine with less. Um, and you're both going to have to come out of your comfort zones a little bit to meet in the middle. Now, is it now, we've, we've heard for years, men and women are wired differently in that regard as far as sexual, you know, I I don't know what to call it, but I guess like sex drives. Yeah. Sex drives. So like, is that science, is that scientific? Like what's the, what's the thought behind that? Yeah. So I have a really hard time with this because I very much dislike trying to prove all the differences between men and women. Uh, I like to like you, you've heard the saying that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I like to say we're not from Mars and Venus. We're just from like New York and New Jersey. You know, <laughs> we're just a little different, but we're kind of the same. Uh, and so we're not that we're not from different freaking planets where we can't talk the same language and don't understand each other. We're just a little different people from New York and New Jersey. They have a little bit of an issue with each other, but uh, they're, they're still the same. Um, and so, yes, I think that in general, the majority of men's sex drives are stronger than women's. Also, women have this pesky thing called the mental load uh, with the child rearing and careers and household running that whether you are in a more egalitarian relationship or not, it doesn't matter. You're still likely taking on more of the mental load than your male partner. Um, and so I think that that prevents a lot of women from, like you were saying, get in the right headspace. Um, I'll say my husband will, um, you know, try to initiate sex when our children are awake and we have six, a six-year-old, a nine-year-old and two 12-year-olds. And I'm like, uh, uh-uh. Yeah, no. nah, nah, not <laughs> happening. And he's like, they won't come in. And I'm like, I can't do it. Listening to them laugh in the room down the hall. Like I cannot get in this moment with you. 
And if you want me to get in this moment, then you need to wait our scheduled time. (laughs) You need to just go take a shower because I can't get in that space. And he does not understand it. He's like, I don't understand. Why can't we just do something? Why can't we just fool around? And I'm like, no, I cannot do it. And so I think that women have very similar sex drives to men, but there's lots of like roadblocks that we have that prevent us from like living our, our libido. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I just did my hair. Stop it. Yes. <laughs> like, no, I just did my hair. Don't yeah, like my my husband. My, yes. Yeah, I told my husband that like, I don't, it's not that I don't want to, it's that I'm, I'm not always in that place. And so the first time that we taped this, like he overheard like a snippet and he was like, I, he's like, you kind of made me sound like a sex, like, like, like that's all yeah, I like think a sex about. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, no, I just think that there is, I said, I just am not always like where it takes you like a split second to, mm-hmm. to get there. It's like a like, light switch. Yeah. yeah. I was like, for me, they're not like that. And yeah. I wish it was, don't get me wrong. I wish I could just turn it on like that. I said, but yeah. I need you to meet me in the middle somewhere and I need you to help get me there. If you want me there, I need you to help get me there. And And we're at a point where our kids are older. And um, so I have the same problem, except for if I know my daughter is due home in the next 10 or 15 minutes, I'm like, no, like we have to wait until after she gets home because I know she's going to come knocking on the door to say, Hey, I'm home. Yeah. And I'm like, that's weird and awkward. And, and he doesn't care. He's like, Oh, you know, I don't, yeah, I do. I I don't know. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's traumatizing. Our son walked in once, one time and it was not good. I would just say like my legs were like straight up. (laughs) How old was he? I think it was like 10 or 11 at the time. It was, it was bad. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, and so like afterwards I like, I had to go in cause like my husband and he will not like, he does not, I have taken on the brunt of like the, the conversations about sex with our kids. So like, yeah, I had to like go in afterwards and like, just have a conversation with him. Like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, do you have any questions? <laughs> he was oh like, my no. Like, no, but I just wanted to make sure that he wasn't like, I didn't want him to think my dad was hurting me or, you know, yeah. you know I just wanted to make sure that he knew everything was okay. Yeah. Our four-year-old walked, well, he's six now, but when he was four, he walked in and he still to this day says, daddy really likes to hump on top of mommy. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. And oh. he just says it. He's like, daddy's always humping around, humping on mommy. And I'm like, stop <laughs> saying it. It has been two years. Stop it. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm now like gaslighting him. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, Rex. And he's like, I saw it. There was a lot of humping. And I'm like, stop. <laughs> and he doesn't think anything about just saying it at all. He's just like, that's what daddies do. I kind of wish we were that. like, no, I wish we weren't so scared about <laughs> our kids knowing what we're doing. They know what we're doing. I know they know. And you know, and it's awkward and whatever, but I wish we could get past that and just be like, Hey, that's why you get married or, you know, yeah. yeah. not that you have to get married to have sex. I do not believe in that, but I'm like, you know, that's why, because we want to have fun and 
Well, and that was one of the things Dana and I got stuck on in our first, when the first time we tried to tape this episode was we kept talking about how much our parents didn't show. They hit affection. it. Yeah. And we don't know if it's like a generational thing or, yeah. or, or what, but it, we knew we were loved, but there wasn't a whole lot of PDA between my mom and dad. And there wasn't, my dad was more affectionate with me than I think my sure. family, than my mom was, but my, it wasn't like my, and my kids, like I smother them. Like I'm constantly yeah. hugging and kissing on them and like telling them I love them. And it, it I don't know if, if that's any more effective than the way my, my mom and dad should love to me, but because I knew I was loved, it's not a matter of thinking that yeah. I was loved, but it just wasn't constantly being covered in affection and the, the words being settled. I mean, they said it occasionally, but it wasn't like, I mean, I don't let my kids leave the house without me telling them. Without sure, me telling sure. them. So I don't know. I, I, I know that that, that in some ways has impacted a little bit of that, you know, secrecy thing. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that I had a different experience. My dad couldn't keep his hands off my mom. So I, I watched that growing up. We, we were the kids that were like, ew, stop, come on, get a room. Uh, and so, um, I don't know. I think that our culture as a whole, make sex so taboo. You know, we, one of the things I like to talk about with my students a lot is, you know, if you want to figure out how to give a public speech, you watch people give public speeches and you take a class that you're required to take at most universities on public speaking, or you major in communication, or you get a book and you read it about, uh, talking in front of an audience or you watch movies. I mean, it's everywhere. If you want to learn how to talk about sex, you don't have many resources. No. And porn is not real. That is no, not real. <laughs> you don't go talk to your parents, which you could for speaking in front of an audience. You know, you could very easily be like, so mom, have you ever given a speech? What do you do? Um, you don't go talk to your parents. You don't talk to your friends. There isn't in the movies, we watch people have sex, but we don't watch them talk about their sexual problems or their sexual likes and dislikes or I mean, anything like that. We don't hear them, you know, negotiate condom use like we don't hear any of that. It's just this passionate clothes coming off eloquently, which, by the way, doesn't happen. Yeah. Clothes are a pain in the ass to get off and they <laughs> take a long time. Sometimes I hate that. <laughs> um and we don't, we just don't have a lot of, there's books, but I think people don't think there are books um, because it's such a taboo subject and there's courses you can take, but they're hard to find. I mean, it's just not something that we value in our culture. And so there's not a lot of opportunity to learn how to do it. Yeah. Well, you just have a really good group of uh, gay friends. Yeah. They teach you some things. They're like, honey, when you're doing this, you need <laughs> yeah, to be doing right. this. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was always helpful. I've always been very open now. With, so I have a 20 and a 10. I've been very open with the 20 year old and she's very open with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we definitely, I mean, she's not like super open, but I've never shied away from it with her. 
And I probably, and I wouldn't with my other one either, because I want them to be comfortable with their bodies and comfortable with asking what, you know, for what they want. And I mean, I think like my 10, my 10 year olds, she was like climbing on top of me. We were sitting in the chair and she was climbing on top of me and I was going, oh, like that. And she goes, mom, that's the sound you make when you and dad are doing it. I'm like, oh God. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm like, Daphne. I'm like, what the hell are you? And I'm like, don't ever say that. I'm like, well, Okay. So she knows that she knows what's going on. She knows when the doors close and it doesn't seem to embarrass her or obviously she's not embarrassed about it. You know? I was like, okay, well that's, that's good. I guess. I mean, we always knew growing up, like when my, my, cause my parents never locked their bedroom door, but every once in a while you would hear a click. And so you're like, Oh, (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. My mom was always really open with me. Once she found out that I was sexually active, it was like, all right, now let's talk forever. And I tease her now um, that maybe she should have started talking a couple of years before. And I might not have been sexually active when I was. She's like, yeah, maybe I should have. So I've worked really hard at trying to be open with my kids and answer any questions they have. But our 12 year old boy, I mean, he's just like, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's I'm super open with my kids. My mom, I remember like when I was starting to go through puberty a little bit, she handed me a book and it was about periods. Yeah. And it was basically like she said, "Here's a book." And she's like, "If you have any questions, ask me <laughs> questions." Me I don't even think I got that much. Said, "Please don't ask me." And that was her, her, her all of her body language was saying, "Please don't ask me any questions." Yeah. Because this is really awkward for me. So I just never asked her any questions. Yeah. And I never had the I never had the sex talk with her. And so like my kids and Caleb he's very um like he just gets to the point. So like yeah. you know, in in school when they're giving them I remember like it was fourth or fifth grade and they're mm-hmm. thinking pieces, but they don't put all the pieces together. And so yeah. he came home and he's like, mom, I know there's a sperm and I know there's an egg. He's like, but how does the sperm get to the egg? And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, mm-hmm. let's wait till dad gets home and let's have this discussion with dad. So like, he was like, he was really wanted to know. So like, as soon as Aaron walked in the door, Aaron, Caleb was like bombarded him was like, <laughs> how, does, how does, Hey dad, how does the sperm get to the egg? And oh, Aaron looked at me and he goes, Oh, oh my God, I, I can't do this. Ah! <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay. So then I was like, all right, I got a man up. I got to do this. So like I had to talk with him and then mm-hmm. Caleb looks at me and he goes, so you and dad did that twice. Yeah. And I was twice. like, I was like, no, you know, like I was very honest. I was like, no, you know, when you do it more than that, because it's, it's enjoyable. It's something that when you love somebody else, like it's something that you just do because mm-hmm. you like doing it. And, and he was like, that's the part my kids don't get yet. Yeah, yeah. They, they understand that, that it's for procreation, for and that's about that. They, they yeah. I think they think like we just naked kiss, you know, just like <laughs> naked kiss. They don't understand that sex is also, at least I don't think they do, understand that sex is also for pleasure. So I'm on it. <laughs> working on it. <laughs> We're getting there. And then my daughter, she's been asking questions since she was really little, whether it was yeah. about periods or whatever. But I've yeah. always been an open book with her. And we've had some conversations that afterwards I'm like, I, w- I never in a million years would have had that conversation. Definitely. And I wouldn't have the conversations that I have, especially with my daughter who's 12, I would not have had with my mom when I was 12. She had those conversations with me much later. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes I'm just like, wow, 
And she asks a lot of questions and she's just very interested. Just I think it's protection. Easier. I think it's easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's easier when you're more open about it and you don't make it so taboo. I think sure. because for me, the taboo part was like the curiosity in me and was like, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to see what this is about. And I, yeah. you know, at 16, you know, was sexually active and mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have been that early had I known a little more about it, but it was the curiosity of it that was. Sure. And that goes with lots of risky behaviors, right? I oh mean- yeah. Yeah, I have told my mom, I remember telling my mom when I first started drinking and I would drink way too much. I was like, mom, why didn't you tell me that you could drink a certain amount and still have fun and like not drink too much? <laughs> like why? I didn't know. I didn't know. I thought you just kept drinking. And she's like, what? I said, why did you tell me? I mean, I wish someone had just told me. I mean, I just remember being like 19 and just Drinking until you, you know, until you pass out, until you can't go anymore. And I just didn't realize that there was, which is so naive. And when I think about it now, I'm like, how stupid was I? But dangerous. Yes. But I just didn't know. I thought you just, that's what you do. You just drink all night. Like, I didn't realize that you could stop and still feel the way you want to feel, you know, the rest of the night and not get sick. (laughs) It was bad. All of those open conversations can help. Lots of people with risky behaviors. Yeah. So do you have any advice for people who are maybe like in a rut? Like just, they can't seem, I mean, like that's how I feel like with Aaron and I just between work schedules, health issues. Oh yeah. Kind of had the highs and lows. We've had times where multiple times a day we're doing it. Like just, we have times where we have gone uh, admittedly months because mainly because of health issues months without having any kind of sexual intimacy between the two of us. And that's rough. And um, so what would you, do you have any suggestions for people who are going through like a a rough or a dry patch, so to speak? Yeah. So I think that there's lots of, there's lots of things that you can do. I think that the, you kind of have to change your mindset. So one of the things that very frequently helps me whenever I'm feeling like anything related to our marriage is like at a low point. So I think changing perspective, understanding that all long-term relationships go in ups and downs and ups and downs. And when you're in a down and up is right around the corner. And when you're in an up, a down is right around the corner. And so that the idea of like having a perspective shift where you're like, okay, this is normal is one way. I mean, that doesn't make you have sex, but it's one way to like help you understand and like cope with the mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. You don't so, feel as bad. Ha- yeah. You don't feel as bad. I also think that it's important to understand that, you know, not all problems need solving you. Sometimes you just need to manage them and figure out ways to manage them. So especially if you are not having sex because of a medical issue or a health issue, I mean, you can't just say, okay, let's have sex. Like if, if there's an actual reason, like you physically cannot for a certain amount of time, then maybe you need to think about other ways that you can be sexually intimate, intimate without sexual intercourse, right. Or without oral sex, unless that's on the table, um, and try to do more of that. Right. So do some naked kissing if that's possible or shirtless kissing or 
kissing, um, you know, snuggle with each other on the couch. If, if that kind of sexual intimacy is not possible, find other ways to be intimate, physically intimate. Um, you know, try to, try to do everything, but whatever you can't do. Um, if you're in a rut because you feel like you are emotionally distant from your partner, right? That's another reason why people get in sexual ruts. Um, I think that it's important to voice that you don't like this to your partner, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm not happy not having sex with you. I'm not happy not being intimate with you. And again, I think that offering to figure out ways to better please your partner. So instead of saying like, I'm unhappy, I need you to do A, B, and C for me. I think it can be, I'm not happy. What can I do to make you more interested to sexually please you more because it's like the whole idea of, you know, you catch more flies with honey. Um, you, when you do something for someone else, they are so much more likely to be willing and motivated to reciprocate. Um, Gary Chapman, the author of the five love languages, which I'm sure you guys have heard of, um, is excellent book. And he talks very frequently about how if you are feeling like you are in a rut, a sexual rut, an emotional rut, just a not great place with your partner, you feel like your partner's not listening to you, not paying attention to you, whatever, um, you know, go to your partner and say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how much love are you feeling from me? And they likely will not say a 10 because you're in this rut for a reason. So you could say, how much sexual intimacy are you feeling coming from me? Love, sexual intimacy, sexual pleasure on a scale of one to 10. They'll likely give you, you know, a seven or lower because you're in the rut for a reason. And then you say, what can I do? What can I do to bring that number up? And listen to them, listen to them, and then do it for a while. <laughs> do it for a few days, do it for a few weeks, and then go to them again and say, on a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling now? I'm working really hard the last three weeks to, you know, love you and show my sexual interest in you, yada, yada. And hopefully the number has gone up. If they say the number's gone up to a nine or a 10, that's great. Then you can ask, a make a request, not give a command, not give an order, but make a request, ask them. I would really love it if you would do A, B, and C, right? Um, one of the things that my husband and I often go back and forth with is him always initiating sex, right? So his big thing is, I would really like it if you would initiate more. And whenever I've done the exercise I just told you guys to do, um, whenever I've asked him, like on a scale of one to 10, like, how are you feeling? I, and he gives me a lower number. The answer that he always gives, what can you do? What can I do to help you? You can initiate sex more. You can act like you can't keep your hands off me more because I feel like I'm just always doing it to you. And I'm do by the way, I'm doing it to you because I want you to do that to me. Um, I'm projecting that, which is usually what people are doing. And so I will work really hard at trying to initiate, trying to show my interest, etc. So I think that 
listening to your partner, listening to their needs and trying to satisfy those needs can actually end up helping you get your needs satisfied. One of the last episodes that we taped and actually released this week was our episode on um, New Year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually talked about the, the five love languages in that because one of my resolutions is to be more intentional with um, my actions towards my, my, my niceness towards my husband and, and really speaking more of his love language, which for him is acts of service and physical touch. And so like, he loves it when I make his lunch for him and he, you know, like just, it it doesn't take very much time, but it's just like, Hey, I thought about you. And I know that, you know, you're going to be, you have a long work day today. So I'm, I made this lunch for you. Um, so I've started doing that. I've started making his lunch and, and, and it was harder to do. Honestly, it was harder to do before when I was so incredibly busy, but now, um, that my, my work situation has changed. I have a little bit more flexibility. I'm I'm home in the evenings. So I'm, I'm able to do that. And it makes me feel, it makes, honestly, it makes me feel good to do that for him. But I'm also, I'm also projecting in a way because I'm like, Hey, I'm speaking your love languages. My love language is quality time and words of encouragement. So like, Mm -hmm. I need, I need that back in return. So I, one of my things is like, Hey, I'm speaking his love language, but I'm also putting my love language out there too, because I'm projecting what I want back. So like, I'm trying to spend quality time with him. I'm trying to, you know, encourage him and, and hope that I get some of that back. So yeah. I think he's just starting to, cause it was funny because, um, I was listening, I always listen to our podcast after it releases just to, because Dana usually does the editing. So I don't hear it during mm-hmm. that process, but I was listening to it, uh, last night and he came in he had gone to work and then he went to the gym and then he came home. And so like he came home and I was listening to it and he was like, um, it was right at the part where I was talking about my resolutions and he was, he kind of heard bits and pieces of it. He's like, what were your resolutions again? And I, and I just told him, I was like, just generally being healthier like that. And I didn't mention the thing about him because I didn't, if I fail, (laughs) I guess I didn't want to um, and he's kind of pledged to not listen to the, our podcast. And I think Brian, uh, Dana's husband has done the same thing because they want us to be able to talk freely and, mm-hmm. um, whatever. And the couple of times he has overheard something, he's made a little comment and I'm like, you know, like mm-hmm. you know, the first time we taped this episode, he made a little comment and I was like, oh, okay. Well, I was like, it, it is what it is. Like, I thought you weren't going to listen. He's like, I wasn't planning to listen. I just <laughs> overheard. So Um, so I don't want, I mean, like I want to be held accountable, but at the same time, like I don't, if it doesn't work out, like if I, if, if I end up totally failing in this regard, I don't want him to know that I had, (laughs) I know that sounds terrible. I want, I don't want him to know that I've been putting forth this, this effort. I want it to feel, I don't know, organic, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a good thing. I don't know, Beth. I think maybe if you do tell him, maybe he'll go, you know what? That could be mine also. And I appreciate that you're trying to put forward this effort. Let me put the effort forward also. Like, I don't think it, I think 
it might not be a bad thing for him to know. And he's listening. I know Brian listens. I have no doubt in my mind that he listens. Yeah, Hi, he Brian. Probably yeah. listens on his way to work or whatever. Yeah. Like he's just not telling me. So no. Yeah. So, okay. Since we are what the 40 ish, I have, you know, the question on age and sex, like, like what really happens? I, Cause we've always heard that as women age, you know, they, they, their libido rises. Mm-hmm. And I think that just comes with confidence and com- and like knowing what you like and what you don't and feeling more confident in your body. I, I felt like I hit like a, like a, I, I feel like a sexual peak, like I, like a spurt, like a huge spurt, like around 35, like 35. I just was like, I don't know, crazy, but <laughs> it, you know, then it like dwindled back down, but yeah, I remember feeling like, wow, I'm like really, there was just something, I don't know if it was, I, I don't know if it was hormonal or whatever, but it was just like something in me that was like, I just craved it more often than I was used to. Yeah. I think that there's lots of things that happen to our bodies that cause us to want sex more or want sex less. Uh, and there are things that are related to age, like generally related to age, but really everybody is different. You know, I, I know some women who um, have issues of being too dry as they get older. And then other women who have, I remember listening to a episode of sex talk with Sue Johansson. Do you guys remember that? It was a television call-in show in the I want to say the late nineties and Sue Johansson was like an old, an older woman. And she was from Canada, don't you know? And she like had a very thick accent. And this woman called in one time. I did a paper on her one time and I had to listen to lots of episodes, which was fabulous. And this woman called in and she's like, well, Dr. Sue, I have been, you know, having sex with my husband for 40 years. And in the last year, it, my vagina has just been so wet. I've had to sop it up, just sop it right up. She's like, I have to, I'll never forget it. And that's the clip I played in class for my uh, classmates at Auburn university in Southern Alabama. It was great. And uh, she's like, we, I've just been keeping a tissue box next to my bed and I have to just sop it up all the time. What should I be doing? And so I think think that every woman has major changes in their 40s and in their 50s, especially if you're going through menopause, that can cause you to have better sex, worse sex, higher libido, lower libido, sexual issues, get rid of your sexual issues. Um, You know, pregnancy does a number on your body in that way as well. Um, But aging definitely does too, especially in your forties and fifties. Yeah. I, I think, that. I think just generally the, you know, the perimenopausal menopausal stage Ugh. is not fun for our bodies in, no. in general. So it's just, we, that's, that's kind of almost what prompted this whole podcast to begin with, because yeah. we, Dana and I have had so many conversations about like, what the hell is happening to our body. <laughs> like, what Oh yeah. Going what is going on right now? Like, and just not generally not being able, not being successful at diets, not being, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Just all the, all the 
random things that happen. hot flashes. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've gotten there yet. Oh, I got there. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> I have some friends that are there and I can't remember what she's taking, like some kind of like black something, black tars. I don't even know. But she's like, it works wonders. I'm like, okay, well, when I'm there, I'm Noted. cold. I'm cold all the time. So I'm kind of I like, used to be cold all the time. <laughs> my husband thinks it's very funny. Oh. So my, at my previous, my previous job, I had, my assistant was, um, older, about 20 years older than I was. And she, we were talking about menopause one day and she, um, she's the one that like, I had no idea. She was like, it's yeah, it was the worst 10 years of my life. And I was like, 10 years. I was like, I didn't know it was going to last this long. I thought it was going to last like a, a couple months maybe. And she was like, no, it's like 10 years. And I was like, I was like, at this point, I'm like terrified. I'm just like terrified of hitting menopause. Like, and it's funny because there's been so I've had some issues. And so there's been so many times where I've just asked my OBGYN, can you just take every, I'm done having kids. Can you just take everything out? And she's like, you do not want me to do that. Just no, you don't. That's the last resort. You do not want me to do that. And I was like, okay, I'll trust you. Like, yeah, you're a woman. I'll trust you in what you're saying. But <laughs> after hearing that, I'm like, well, yeah, I want to delay going into that process as long as humanly possible because I'm not, I mean, but I know I'm, I'm 43, almost 44. So like, I know I'm getting to that, yeah. to that age. Um, and I had kids really early. I think that has a, an effect on it too. So like sure. even my youngest is now 18. So it's been 18 years since my body has produced another human being. So I think that that comes into play too. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's only been six years since I produced the last <laughs> one. And my doctor's like, no, ma'am, you are in. I said, don't call me ma'am. She's like, <laughs> in perimenopause. And I'm like, no, no. And she said, yes, that this is what's happening. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's an odd, uh, it's an odd visit to have at your doctor's. Oh, she's, I mean, I'm, I will be 40 this year. I am 39 and I'm like, I'm 39 years old. Yeah. And that she seems said, really early. Yeah. My mom was 40. So she doesn't think she's like, oh, if your mom was 40, then, you know, 39, it's not that crazy, but yeah, yeah it, I've had all the tests. So <laughs> uh, not I'm not like, I'm not, not fun. To Do it. you feel like it's changing? Yes. Your- like you're my like, cycle is totally different now. You're okay. everything. My symptoms are different. So my, I never had symptoms really before I was very, very lucky and I never really had issues. I would always have digestive issues, but I didn't have cramping or like tiredness or mood swings. Even mood swings were few and far between the mood swings I'm having now. I almost like voluntarily committed myself to a hospital last month. Oh my God. I was like talking to my mom and I said, I think I need help. And she's like, we all need help. And I was like, no, I'm worried for my safety today. Yeah. (laughs) I will tell you, man, my mom was horrible. So what did they, what'd they tell you to do? They just said if, if the, if symptoms get out of control, we can talk about medication, you know? So this has only been like three or four months for me. It was over the summer. And I'm like, I was having a terrible summer and 
finally get to the doctor and they make me come every week doing all these different tests. And they're like, this is what we've come to decide. You're impairing menopause. I thought I had cancer. I thought I had a tumor. I thought I was dying. I, it was bad. We, um, I thought I was pregnant. I've always had really bad, I've always had really bad, like menstrual, like symptoms. Mm -hmm. And since I guess my, my twenties, I guess probably once every other month I have where it feels like I have the full on flu, um, before I start like before I start my period. (laughs) And then I have really heavy, really heavy periods. And then, um, there's also one day, a one day, usually about a week before I start and Aaron has picked up on it where I am like psychotic. I don't I know. Yeah. I mean, and I'm a pretty even killed person. Like Dana was yeah. like, pretty even killed, pretty calm, laid back or whatever. But there's <laughs> that I am just like, do not mess with me because you might get murdered and but oh, yeah. can you feel I can feel it and I will tell I will warn my family look when I'm on was, edge yes yeah I, I, it when, took me a while to recognize it but it now that I recognize it like Aaron like if he start because usually he's the one that like pushes me over the edge mm-hmm. but I will tell him like it's that day don't mess with me today <laughs> yeah and I like, have a oh. knife and he just shuts up and like goes and finds himself a quiet place somewhere else yeah. Every time I was pregnant, I would have serious mood swings and I would just walk in and I'd be like, today's not the day. Just don't speak to me. Just leave me alone. Let me be me. Uh, but normal cycle PMS, I just never really had it. And it has been horrendous the last, you know, four or five months. It's just been so bad each month. I'm like ready to cry myself to oblivion or be really angry. It's just one or the other. Anger or deep depression. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. <laughs> really bad. And I'm not, I, I just, I don't have depression in my history. Like I'm not a depressed individual. I'm very happy and up go, upbeat. And, and I was just, I really, I was like questioning my life choices, like, which I don't do. So it was just so bad. Oh my God. And then the hot flashes are killing me. Uh. I remember uh, when my mom was going through menopause and I don't remember a lot about that time. I think because I was in, I think I was in high school at the time. Maybe I was just, I had my own stuff going on, but I remember one day, like we, I grew up in Virginia beach and there was this dairy there that had the best lemonade, like for a reason, like the dairy, they had the best chocolate milk and they had the best lemonade. And so, but it was expensive. So like you would get lemonade and like, it was a treat, you know, when we got it. And I remember, and I had two older brothers and we were all like, we're all two and a half years apart. So in our teens, like, you know how it is with it, when you have teenagers in the house, like you mm-hmm. can't keep food or anything in the house. Well, someone had gotten the lemonade and my mom came home from work and the lemonade was gone and she lost her shit. She was like, I just wanted a and then oh, she like, man. like, like full on, like toddler tantrum, went back to her room, slammed the door. And it was like, we were all like looking at each other, like what the fuck just happened here? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like, and it, none of us knew about menopause at that you know time. We really had no clue. But afterwards I, I figured it out. I was like, oh, 
this is what's happening. Mom's yeah. change. And, you know, so she was a little crazy there for a while. Um, but I remember, cause my mom is not, she's, she wasn't one that exploded like that. So it was like, we were all like, we didn't, we were like, what just happened? Um, mm-hmm. So I I'm, I'm hoping that for me, because I have had the crazy cycles that maybe it'll get better for me. <laughs> it could, it very well could. It doesn't get bad, like worse for everybody. I'm hoping because I've We've been... only heard worse though. We've not yeah. heard these, these good stories. Where <laughs> the hell are they? But Dana, that's like the Amazon review. Yeah. You only go on Amazon to review if you loved it or if you hated it. Yeah, that's true. You don't go on if you're like, yeah, it was, it was average. It was fine. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. Oh boy. Good times. Good times. <laughs> we kind of like wrap up our conversation. Um, are there any resources that you would recommend to anybody out there who is either looking to spice things up, uh, looking to just generally have a, a more intimate, better relationship with their partner? Any tips, resources that you want to throw out there to us? Yeah. So I think that there are a ton of great books out there. Um, on my Instagram at relationships, love happiness, I actually have a list of book recommendations and many of them have to do with sexual communication, but I'll give you a couple of them right now. So one of them is called uh, sex talk. Uh, a nice little cover. Uh, Sex Talk Uncensored Exercises for Exploring What Really Turns You On by Zald Broad and Docket. That it's an older book, but it is really great with lots of great uh, tips in it. And then Wendy Stroger, she wrote a book called Love That Works, A Guide to Enduring Intimacy. And this is also a really amazing um, book. And so there's of resources out there in terms of like in book form, right? So there's, there's lots of ideas where you can just read a book. You can read a book with your partner. You can read a book by yourself. Um, but then you, if you really feel like you need help from something more than a book, right? Most people go to books first. There's podcasts, uh, (laughs) about sex talk, Um, I would encourage you to look for online classes by sex therapists online. Um, If you go to Instagram and just look up sex therapists, you could find a lot of them and most of them have really great online courses. So take an online class, taking an online class with a partner can actually be pretty fun. Um, It can also be kind of intimidating though. So maybe do it by yourself and then take it with them later if you think that you can, uh, you can do it. Um, but again, I think that scheduling sex is the, it's the advice that I give the most, um, because of all of the things that we talked about in this episode. Like, it's just, it's a really great way to keep your sex life active, um, and to make sure that you are making time to make love because you make time to eat you make time to go to work. You need to make time to have sex. It's important. Yeah. I I'm a fan. I'm a fan of scheduling. Mm-hmm. Me too. Then you can well, play all have, day too. I'm going to have to start. Aaron's going to be excited. 
start scheduling because he'll know it's guaranteed. Like he likes the predictability of stuff sometimes. So like, it's probably right up his alley. So I am more of a, you know, a wild child. I like to, you know, I'm not as regimented as as he is, but he'll, he'll appreciate this. I think effort. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would like, I mean, I know like when we kind of make the plan, and like in the morning, I like it all day long. Like it's going through my head. It kind of keeps me in that zone yeah. instead of thinking about, oh shit, I got to, I need to go clean out my garage or I need to get this done or whatever it is I need to get yeah. done. I stay in that zone. I love it. See, we're good about, we schedule like date nights just to the two of us get out, like go have dinner, like usually once a week. Um, just, we have a, we have, my parents live with us. So like that's, we often, and we love them and we love having them here. Um, we had always planned that, that we would be the ones that took care of them, but, um, you know, it's nice to kind of get away by ourselves sometimes because we do have that extended family around. Mm -hmm. You should get a hotel room next date night. You should be like, okay, I'm going to make date night and get a hotel room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I got That's great Marriott idea. Points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be good. I points to use. Okay. Well, um, Dr. Um, Roger, where, where can we find you? So you can find me on Instagram at relationships, love, happiness, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash relationships, love, happiness. You can also find me at www.relationshipsloveshappiness.com. Um, and you can listen to my podcast that is called love matters. Um, there's one season right now, the season season one is all about the science of attachment. And so it is an, it's a season that you could listen to an episode here or there, but it, the biggest benefit is to listen to it from beginning to end. Um, all of the episodes in that order, if you really want to learn a lot about attachment, which will help you improve your lives and the connections that you have with other people. That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah. We'll put them in the show notes too. All that will be down there for you. Um, Okay. So I will say just as a, another little plug that I, I have had to um, review your resource, a couple of your resources now because of the classes that I've taken with Mm you, but um they're great. I love the first workbook that we did. The, the, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. You can help me here. Love talk. Yes. Love talk. Yeah. Yeah. It was love talk. Uh, um, and that one I thoroughly enjoyed. I loved, um, I loved going through that one. My husband actually liked it too, because it, it prompted a lot of conversation between the two of us. So like I would go and talk to him about what I had learned. And that was, that was really, I think productive for me. And also, um, my end goal is to, to go into marriage and family counseling. So like I, I just soaked everything that was in that That's book. Great. Um, and so I'm, but it was funny because the attachment portion of it was so interesting to, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass right now. No, it's, it's so my favorite part too. Yeah. It was so interesting to me. It made so much sense. And, um, so when I had reached, remember when I, I sent you that email and I was like, I, you know, I really loved your class. Thank you so much. And then you were like, Hey, if you love this class, think about taking my attachment class. And I, and, and so like I had waited for it. And then when I saw it came out this semester, I was like on it. I was like, yeah, like I was so great class. It's the class that I get the most thank you letters written about. It's the class that, 
uh, people, a lot of my students have written letters to my dean um, from that class saying that this should be like a gen ed, everybody should be required to take it. It's life changing. And there's a lot of, uh, are you in the online version of it or the in-person? Yeah. The I'm online. The in-person in, in one is, um, it's emotional and there's a lot of happy tears and I think sad tears too, which are also, in my opinion, happy tears uh, in class, like daily. And so it's, it's a very interesting topic. Okay. So now the us outsiders are like, well, how the hell can we get this information? You can listen to the podcast. And I have a workbook that goes along with the podcast that I talk about in the podcast about where to get it. Uh, and you can okay. purchase the, the workbook and use it along with the podcast, which is, which is what Beth will be doing in class. It's the exact, it's, you'll be taking the class with Beth. If you, if you get the workbook and you, uh, listen to the podcast, okay. I will, that sounds you'll amazing. literally be taking the class with her. <laughs> well, it's so funny because the whole attachment theory, just to kind of take a step back on that mm -hmm. is when, when I was, cause I was a very young mom, 22 when I had my first, mm -hmm. um, and I remember like in my church, there's this, you know, went to the mom's group or whatever. And so I, I very much looked up to the other women in my church because they, most of them were older and had it more, I felt had more oh, experience. Yeah. And there was one woman who just constantly pushed baby wise on me, baby wise, you know, let them cry it out. Blah, 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 blah. And I remember I took the book home. I read it. I tried it once. It did not feel right to me. And so I couldn't do it, but I remember going back and almost, almost like almost feeling like I had to kind of lie about it because I was like, Oh yeah, it's going great. And I, but, yeah. it, but really it was really, it never took to me. It never felt right. As far as my maternal instinct, I have a very strong, like maternal. Oh instinct. yeah. And so it just never, that cry it out thing never felt right to me. And so uh, I tried it that one day. Uh, it, and like when I say one day, I tried it once it, and yeah. you know, I could not, it, it just did not work for me. And so it, it has never been, um, something that I have pushed on other, I've never recommended it to anybody else. It's, mm -hmm. um, and I felt guilty about it. Like I was doing something wrong, like by not, by constantly, um, you know, picking them up, comforting them, what, whatever, when they were, little. you were doing everything right. Yeah. So I, yeah. it made me it, like, kind of made me feel good because I was like, ah, did I spoil them? Did I, you know, like, no, you can't yeah. spoil someone with love. It's yeah. so ridiculous that we think that at all, even for a second. Yeah. So, so wait, what's the, okay. We kind of went off on that. What's the attachment theory? Like, so whenever... attachment says that, um, we form bonds with an attachment figure starting at birth. And that attachment figure is usually our mother or our father or whoever cares for us the most. Um, some people have multiple attachment figures like a mom and a dad or a mom and a nanny or a mom and a grandma. Some people only have one, like just grandma. Grandma raised me. And so grandma's my attachment figure. Whoever spends the majority of time with the children, you can create an attachment bond with that ch child. And attachment is based on the um, 
consistency and sensitivity of responses that children receive from their attachment figures, whoever that may be. And so children who receive really consistently sensitive responses from their attachment figures develop secure attachments in those first three years of life that they carry with them for the rest of their life. And it impacts how they form relationships with others until they die. Uh, Children who do not receive consistent responsiveness from their attachment figure can develop an insecure attachment, which can cause them to have issues connecting with, understanding, maintaining relationships with other people for the rest of their lives. And so many of our relationship issues that we have as adults right now can actually be connected back to something that happened to us in our first three years of life. Wow. We could have a whole nother podcast episode on that. This is a total other podcast. (laughs) And honestly, I would bring Marissa in on this podcast. So my oldest daughter, she's my stepdaughter, but I've had her since she was eight. I've known her since she was five. Um, And her her dad was military, so he wasn't around that much, but her mom, oh God, um, (laughs) Like her mom, she was a restaurant worker. And so Marissa remembers just spending a lot of time at babysitters and being very shuffled about. And like, I know that you not know, having her- consistency. Yes. It's okay to have a babysitter. You know, lots of people will learn about attachment from me and they're like, but what if I want to work and I want to send my kid to a babysitter or have a nanny or go to daycare? It's okay to have someone else care for your child. It's not okay to have them cared for by seven different human beings. Yeah. They need consistency. And, and it was very, ex- for extended, long, it, yeah. bless, bless this little girl's heart, bless her heart. Um, I'm so, you know, her dad and I are so grateful that we were able to get her and yeah. we feel like we have provided her way better than she would have had. Sure. Um, but she has a really hard time with making friends, mm-hmm. confidence, like feeling mm-hmm. she's constantly feeling like people are ju- like, Oh my God, we got in a, a brawl yesterday. Cause I said, okay. To her about, and she just thought I was being so snarky in me. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I'm like, no, yeah. I'm just saying, okay, go do that. You yeah. know, go for it. Mm-hmm. But she has a lot. I would love to bring her in on this. Cause I think <laughs> it could be very interesting for her and eye opening for her mm-hmm. and for me as her mom, like to try and understand why does she do the things she does? Yeah. Interesting. Most, most her things- Daphne are night and day. Yeah. Her and Daphne yeah. are night and Daphne's, Daphne's full of confidence and could give a flip what anyone, you know, like she, she's just a very different, yeah. very different creature. Yep. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Oh, yeah. it, is, it is so, inc- I mean, like, I can't, And I know not everybody is interested in this topic, but it just like, as I'm. No, 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 no. Everyone who learns about attachment is interested in the topic. Okay. So I guarantee it. I I I have had friends that are now like tired of me talking about. No, I have had football players join my class because nothing else fit in my schedule. (laughs) And they get in the class and they're like, can I just like, this is going to be easy, right? Like, this is going to be fine. And they're on day five crying in class. Mm. And writing journal, uh, like journaling about their childhood. And at the end, they're like, Dr. Rozier, I just, 
this was like the best thing I've ever done in my whole life. And I'm like, yeah. So it's not. No, I think that people think, oh, yeah, attachment. Yeah, but no, it's um, it is eye opening. If anything, it teaches you about who you are, where you came from and where you're going. We should. Okay. So when you start, Beth, when you start your class, I'll do the podcast thingy on the side. Um, yeah, but we'll come back. Let's bring you back when the class is over sure. and she, you, she's gone through it. I've gone through it and uh, we'll have another discussion and see. Yeah, I mean, because Oh, that would be topic. awesome. Yeah. I would I love to discuss it with about. two people who listened to the whole thing and did the whole class. That would be great. Yeah. One of the things that we had wanted to talk about too, which I thought you would be a great guest to bring back for was to talk about parenting. Um, yeah. You know, Cause I know you do a lot of that too, as well. Oh I mean, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And hand the, hand with the attachment, but I have an entire series of research studies about the cried out method as well. So if you want to do a sleep training episode, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we certainly, oh, can. yeah, we can, we can definitely talk about the different parenting <laughs> methods from, from birth on, um, mm-hmm. But I think it's, I mean, it really, really, you set the tone at birth. So, um, again, we, we kind of got off on a tangent there, but yeah. thank, you so much, thank you so much for being with You're us. You're welcome. Today. And, um, we, I mean, honestly, I know how busy you are. I know you're getting ready to start the semester. So I truly appreciate you taking the time to, to speak. Yeah. Thank you. It was an awesome conversation. It was fun. Yeah, it was. Oh. Okay. Well, before you leave though, so we do ask our guests to tell us a time in your life can be recently, whenever that somebody did something kind for you unexpectedly can be very big, can be very small, but it just made an impact in your life. Okay. So when I was a master's student at Auburn university, I was at a, I had applied to grad school to get a PhD And I had applied to Purdue University, which is one of the top schools for interpersonal communication. And it was a long shot. I mean, I thought, I mean, it was like a top three school. So I thought, okay, if I get in, that'll be great. If I don't, I'll take a year off. I was in a very weird part of my life. My dad was really sick and I was really debating on taking a year off anyways. But this was kind of like my, I'm going to try it. I'm just going to try to go and go get a PhD, which was also an odd thing for me. I, it wasn't expected that I would go and get a PhD. So it was a, it was a big deal. So I um, go to this co- academic conference. I've applied to the school and I'm going to this conference with people that were my professors as an undergrad at University of Maryland. And specifically, I was with two of my professors from University of Maryland, um, Andy Wolven and Laura Janusik. And they are very great mentors to me. And during the conference, I got an email that said I did not get in to Purdue. And I was distraught and I was very sad. And I remember telling Andy Wolven and Laura Janusik that I didn't get in and I was crying. And, and Andy looked at me and he said, no, 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 you're, you need to go get a PhD. And I said, it's okay. I'll take a year off. I'm going to take care of my dad. He was in his last year of life. And I said, I'm just going to take care of him and I'm, you know, I'll be fine. And he said, no, 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 you didn't come this far to not go to grad school. And that was that. And we left dinner and I went to my hotel room for the conference the next day. And I didn't think anything of it. And then, um, the next day I was uh, 
Oops. I was checking my email and there was an email from the department head at Purdue and it said, uh, we've made a mistake. Uh, we would like you to come to Purdue. Congratulations. And I was like, what the hell happened? (laughs) And so I, I didn't, I didn't know what happened. I had no idea. And so I went and told Andy and Laura, I said, I, I got in, there was a mistake. And Andy said, there's no mistake. I called them. They're not going to give up on you. Not on you. You deserve to go to grad school. And I was like, what? And he said, I vouched for you. And my, my opinion means a lot. And I said, what do you mean? You How much money do I owe you? <laughs> That's been a running joke for the last 15 years that we owe him, my husband and I must owe him like 50 grand or something. And he's like, no, I vouched for you. And that means something. And so, you know, I went to Purdue and you're going to Purdue. And I said, okay. And I went to Purdue and I owe him so much. And it was an act of kindness. He did not have to do. I did not ask him to do it. He, you know, used his power, his clout, his whatever to, to convince someone that I was worth a shot. And so I have tried to do that any chance that I get, um, when I have a student who I can see a spark in who maybe doesn't have the best test scores or the best grades or comes from the best part of town, uh, which was all me. And I try to vouch for them. And so I think that that's my greatest, that's the greatest act of kindness anyone had ever done for me. And I think that we could all do more of that. We could all try to vouch for someone when we see that maybe someone's not getting something that they deserve or where you can see the potential in someone and maybe other people can't vouch for them and tell, you know, vouch for them, say, I guarantee that this person can do it, give them a chance and use your position, whatever your position is. It doesn't have to be something serious, like getting someone into grad school, but, you know, saying, Hey, he deserves this job or they deserve, you know, you deserve to give this person a chance romantically, you know, they're really great. Give them a chance, right? Vouch for somebody because a lot of times we don't vouch for ourselves and uh, we need a little help. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh my God. What an amazing friend. I know. And I talk to him all the time. We're still close. And I still tell him all the time, tease him all the time that, you know, one day I'll pay you back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure doing what you're doing and continuing the work that you're doing is probably like, it's enough for him. He's probably makes him super proud. Yeah. Yeah. I always send him signed copies. Oh yeah. I send him signed copies of every book I write (laughs) and he, he loves it. That's awesome. So is, was that your challenge? Is that your challenge? To yeah, that's a challenge. Vouch for someone. Okay. Vouch no, for I love somebody. that. I love that. I, I mean, it's when, whenever I get an opportunity to give somebody a reference, when people call me, I just, mm-hmm. if they've made the, the choice to add me to their list of references, then um, I know that they, tr- that they trust me and they, they, you know, yeah, they, they value my, opinion of them. So I make sure that I say really good things about them. Um, so, but yeah, I think that's, that's a, that's a great one. Vouch for somebody and (laughs) we're in, 
in all different, you know, it could be every, any area it can be professionally, but it can also be personally. You know, I think sometimes people are like, no, I don't want to date him. And it's like, come on, he's give him a chance. Yeah. Right. Or give her a chance or be friends with her again, because give her the benefit of the doubt, you know, vouch for somebody that you care about. That's awesome. I love that one. Yep. Okay. Well, I think we are coming to a close here. We wanted to thank you guys for listening. Thank you for joining us this week. And again, thank you, Dr. Um, Rocher for, for joining us and, and providing us with all these great tips and feedbacks and resources. And you guys go check her out, please. Um, you will be amazed by what you learn um, as, as I have been. So you again and have a great week. Thanks. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us on What the 40-ish. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear some more, please hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, or share with your friends. We would love for you to follow us on Instagram at What the 40-ish. And remember, we're all just trying to make it through, so do something kind for someone else today. Even a smile goes a long way.